Hello, Satna. My name is Zita Harkaran. And I'm making a video about love and death. This is a beyond yoga, beyond meditation sort of video that's attached with Sadna and books part of my offerings, I can say. <laughs> so a while back, I decided I wanted to look deeper than just beyond meditation. Meditation is powerful, powerful stuff. It's a practical stuff. Right? Meditation is a philosophy in practice, spirituality in practice. Uh, yoga as well, of course. But I wanted to see further and learn from wise people of the past. And one of them that came up back into my life recently is Joseph Campbell. And um, we are just about to talk about in our book club about the section on lie, love and death rituals in mythology, in primitive societies. Um, and it's fascinating stuff, like really, really fascinating. So I wanted to make a little intro about it, about what I found out and maybe you'll find interesting as well. And um, if you want, you can always come and join our discussion. We know that love and death is connected. We feel it, but we don't know how, why. And these really old mythologies are trying to teach us about something very, very important that I think we have forgotten and pushed to the side. Um, we focus so much on life right now. Everything is about life, prolonging life, prolonging health, prolonging happiness. Um, and somehow the essence of life is escaping us. Um, it, you know, when we look at our society, we see people that struggle to live within the society. And maybe you are one of them. There are many people who struggle because our society got so uniform, so standardized that it probably only works for a few individuals and the rest of us kind of go along with it. And in the worst case, check out. Just literally leave into drugs, fantasies, addictions, um, into, in some cases, depression, anxiety, suicides, right? This, these are forms that, these are, for, these are not personal diseases. These are diseases of our culture, that our culture is not taking care of the people that live in it. Uh, because it only seems to fit to certain amount of people, but not to everyone. It does not allow for the individuality to show up. So in order for us to heal these alignments, we really need to look at life from a different perspective. And this is one perspective, okay, that I'm going to offer. And these myths are offering to us that you can have. It might not be correct. And you know what? God save us from correct. Because there is no correct way of living. There is just your way, right? But here is an, an offer of what we can do. Uh, so this is... Um, 
This is how Joseph Campbell opens this chapter, and it's very, very powerful, and I'm going to read it. Um, this is a current reenactment of a myth, a rite in um, South New Guinea with the native society. And this is what these people do. This is was written by an uh, ethnologist, Paul verse he observed this right so please uh might be a little gruesome but just um go along with me okay the rites are performed to the tireless chant of many voices the boom of slit log drums the whirling of bull roarers which are the voices of dima themselves rising from the earth ceremonies continue for many nights many days uniting villages villagers in a fused being that is not biological essentially but a living spirit with numerous heads many eyes many voices numerous feet pounding the earth lifted even out of temporality and translated into the no place no time no when nowhere of the mythological age which is here and now the particular moment of importance to our story occurs at the conclusion of one of the boys puberty rites which terminates in a sexual orgy of several days and nights during which everyone in the village except the initiates makes free with everybody else amid the tumult of the mythological chants drums and the bull roarers until the final night when a fine young girl painted oiled and ceremonially costumed is led into the dancing ground and made to lie beneath a platform of very heavy logs with her in open view of the festival the initiates cohabit one after another and while the youth chosen to be last is embracing her, the supports of the logs above are jerked away and platform drops. The prodigious boom of drums, a hideous howl goes up and the dead girl and boy are dragged from the logs, cut up, roasted and eaten. What can be the sense of such a cruel game? And who are these annihilated girl and boy? What is the background of such rites, which are not frequent merely, but typical among the cannibal gardeners of widely dispersed equatorial villages? So this is not a unique rite. Um, we know stories of immolated kings. Um, there are stories of many cannibal societies that we've discovered over the years. And we say, oh, they're just primitive. They're just so primitive. They don't know about society, and that's why they do that. If they were more evolved, they would understand the preciousness of life, and they would not play games like that. And they would definitely not eat people, right? This is what we say. But... Maybe for a little while we can put aside our 
modern prejudices and see what this is about. Why is that happening? Uh, but in order to understand, there is there is one more myth, actually. This is a right. This is something that actually happens. It's a reenactment of a myth. Um, but then it's important for us to understand what the myth was so that we know what they were trying to do, right? So uh, uh, also, I want to mention this is story that Aztecs used to do too, right? They would have this rite where they would... Um, I don't know, burn people actually, yeah, on top of those pyramids. And um, and that would happen maybe once a year or so on. Um, what were they trying to do, right? What is the underlying myth that helps them explain it in their head and understand it? So in this case, in South New Guinea, Dutch New Guinea actually, uh, the myth is like this. I'm just going to shorten it. It's pretty long, but we will read about it. So it's here. Um, there is a man called Amita, which means dark, black, or night. I think the term is also interesting, important, the name for him. And he has a dog. And um, I think they go for a walk, and the dog chases this boar, a pig. And the pig doesn't know what to do, so he goes into the lake. And um, there is no other way for the pig to get out, so he just keeps on swimming because the dog is guarding the the river bank or the lake bank, right? And he can't get out. So eventually the pig dies. That's when the man pulls it out of the water. And as he's cutting it up, in its tusk, he finds uh, a coconut. And this is when there are no coconut trees anywhere. So he doesn't know what to do with it. He brings it home. He knows it's something special. So he covers it with a snake blanket. Snake blanket is an important ceremonial item. Um, and he puts it up in his altar. And he goes to sleep. And in his dream, he gets a message to plant that coconut right so this is also a story of when the hunter-gatherer societies move into a planter society or agricultural societies so anyway he plants the coconut and um, in three days there is a palm in f four or five days there is uh, already coconuts growing on it right so he goes up and he chops down the coconut because he thinks, I'm going to drink it. This is delicious. Um, but as he's cutting it down, he cuts his finger. And where the blood mixes with the sap of the tree, next day he sees there is a face on it. Day after, he sees that not just the face, but the trunk. And the third day, he sees that there is a little girl who grew up out of that. And she's very precious because anytime she poops, she poops like precious objects. So one day there is a festival and uh, he brings the girl over and she's in the center. And as she dances, she poops and she poops like golden earrings and precious. Next day she 
poops like um, some kind of some kind of like uh, beads, uh, porcelain dishes. They say that's what they identify. Then she poops um, like uh, and at the last day she poops a gong, which is probably like the most precious thing. Um, and everybody rejoices. This is a lot of prosperity. This is great, but the people decide that they got jealous why he should own her right and he's gonna have all this wealth and they're gonna have nothing after the festival is over so they decide to kill her and they kind of like they start making circles smaller and smaller and they push her into some kind of a hole and then they bury her so the goddess is very upset about that Man, the Amita wasn't there. He finds out about it later. He's very upset about that. And so the goddess decides that those who killed her are going to be killed as well, but they they get transformed into like lots of different animals that the world didn't have before. So dogs and cats and leopards and elephants. So these people become the animals. Um, and then people has to, and the Dima leaves as well. She's not happy. So this is a kind of a story of the creation of the world, how things were created, how cocopows were created, how um, precious objects were created, how, of course, animals were created. So it's kind of interesting, right? Th th there isn't much of like a m morality here, uh, morality story, but it shows this circle of life and death that what we think is dirty and nasty, like poop, right? That it's actually a precious thing in this case for this girl and beginning of something new. That, And then also the killing of these people is like a beginning of new animals that everything that we have is what we think of like blood right the dirt the you know instead of putting it on an altar you need to put it in the dirt so these are kind of like the lessons that in a dead pig there is a beautiful beginning of a coconut tree um and this is something that I think is missing so much from our society, this acceptance of death or seeing death as a, a precious beginning of something new, right? Like, we have so much garbage and we don't know where that garbage goes. We, we do, we all poop, we all pee. We all have our bodily fluids coming out, but we don't know where it goes. We are so detached in our society right now, detached from it. Everything that it's just slightly um, has to do with death or we, we cover disease. Oh, no, no, no. We are so scared because it just shows us that we value life so much. And we think there is just one life and... It needs to be lived to the fullest and there is nothing after and whatever is after, it's not good. 
Um, but here is another perspective that's being offered to us, that the death is basically a God giving itself back to the nature. That's why I love collecting my compost. <laughs> uh, now we have been so that's great but it used to be I had to go to the end of the block every Saturday and drop it off and it was like the highlight of my day <laughs> collecting it and dropping it off because I feel like okay here is like finally this garbage is being used for something it is returning to where it should be and give back the nutrients to the earth um we don't know otherwise where the garbage is going. That cycle is broken. We broke it somehow. Uh, we don't know where even what happens with dead people. They just kind of like disappear. And it's not talked about. It's not seen in any way. Um, and it's kind of like when we refuse death, when we refuse to look at death and we refuse to see the ending, um, it's like we lose the better part of understanding of life. Life is like a day, right? Where you work and are focused on what is happening and you got to make something out in your world. You got to pay your karma. And then there is night and night is like death. But for us night isn't the night the most uh, relaxing time when we come back from work we relax we have fun we meet up with friends um it's a it's a time of relaxation it's a time of sleep and rejuvenation what if you look at death in the same way right as this rejuvenation period and not be scared of it but welcome it bring it into our life. So what Joseph Campbell says about these rituals is that these people created the ritual not because they were so superstitious that they believed this is going to bring prosperity into their lands because the, the groups they live in are quite small and they are quite well sustained. They didn't have problems with uh, foods and such nor was it some kind of like um, a village building community he's trying to see there is a deeper meaning in there and the meaning is that it's like a he, he says it, it's like a reenactment of the creation of the world in this time in this place it's like um, he calls it like when Einstein wrote the sentence, right, E equals MC square. That it's not just uh, something that was written on a piece of paper back then when he wrote it. You can take this formula and apply it any time. It will be true. You can just plug in the numbers and it will be true. And so this is the same way. These rights are something. It's a creation of the universe that's happening right now for your eyes, for your subtle and subconscious mind to understand and embody into yourself that understanding the truth that you can learn from it. Aztecs have a very similar creation myth, but in, in a different sense. It's, uh, the myth goes like this, that uh, there were gods sitting around the fire 
and um, they were like, okay, well, we are going to create the earth, right? And um, who is the volunteer that's going to go and get this started? And everybody's like, us, us, me, me, me. Um, so the main guard asked, okay, here is a fire. Who's going to be the first one that's going to jump into the fire? And the main, most prominent guard is like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he tries and runs and he can't jump. And then he tries again and he can't. Then he tries again and again, he stops himself. And there is a, another God, I forgot these names, but I'll probably link the myth in, on the Patreon. It's the Aztec myth of the creation of the world. And then there is this like very humble God that no one really like paid attention to before. Uh, he doesn't think much of it himself. And he's like, I'll do it, I'll, I'll jump in. And he goes and jumps into the fire. And then other gods seeing that, they kind of, "Mm, okay, we are going to do it again. So the main one tries again and he's able to do it. And then the other gods jump in. And the first one that jump in, the humble one, becomes a radiant bright sun. The second one, becomes the moon and then the ones after become the stars Um, and this is a story of like that Aztecs then recreated in their rights but not only that that they believe in infinite nature of life but the, the more fearless they are the more radiant they become and in sacrificing themselves they begin something new in this case sun earth moon all of that and this is also similar to our jesus christ myth right that he we always say that he died for our sins he sacrificed ourselves this is again a reference that goes back to these primitive myths of the creation of the world where they see death and are not scared of it. And their rights are recreation of not being scared of the death. And that goes deep, deep, deep into your subconscious mind and creates completely different look on the world and completely different morality. In our case right now, we, we value life only and only life and anything to... Everything is sacrificed for the prolonging of life. We don't believe that there is something after death. Some people maybe believe in heaven. Some people believe, few people maybe believe in reincarnation, but they're still not brave enough to die. Right? And, um, but then instead we have wars for ideals that are ridiculous right how many people died for stupid stupid ideals and then how many people did sacrifice themselves for their their beliefs so there is an idea that there is something more important than just life but somehow we have forgotten that so this is what um, uh, joseph campbell says quote The divine being, the Dima, 
has become flesh in a living food substance of the world, which is to say, in all of us, since all of us are to become, in the end, full food for other beings. This is the nuclear idea of the Kildima, who is the source of our good and of our food. What is our source of food? Do we even see it these days? Right? It's like we don't see where our, how our pigs are killed, how our cows are killed. We're completely detached from it. But the primitive men had to do it themselves. And they revered animals more than we do. They loved animals so much that this wasn't easy for them to kill them. And these myths helped them. Oh, we can see the, the age-old paintings that we find. They're so beautiful. And what the message is, is that look at this beautiful land. They had varied beautiful deer and cows and boars and bears and lions. Like, look, we have this. So they didn't kill them because, with, like, they didn't care about them. But they killed them with this deep reverence and love. As, as if they were killing gods. And they understood that this is they're going to return back into life. This is still how Native Americans were killing bisons. They believe they were going, and they are, because that is the truth of life. So, so these were, later on, these sacrifices were kind of translated and understood as some kind of bribes or gifts to God, but no, they were just a reenactment of what is truly happening in the universe. Just like that formula, E equals MC square, you can take and place it anywhere and it will still work. That's how it was. It was reenactment that was out of time, present only, and helped you understand the truth. And so one more thing that these myths also remind us is of the monstrosity of life. That life is not just beauty and health, but also this deep, dark, tense monstrosity that's asking for your life, for something new to begin. This is something that people understood during World War I, during World War II. This was like this, that's, that's when that all literature about nonsense came out, right? Like waiting for Godot and many other, where it's like, we don't know what life is about. We forgot all our ideals. And this is what these rites were also reminding people, that, that monstrosity, the enormity of life, not just beauty, but of death and cruelty and pain. And to be able to live with the pain and to be able to remember the pain and the death that this is coming. It's not far, far, far into future. It can happen to anyone. It can happen to young people, old people. <laughs> there is not right time to die, right place to die. And this is something that these myths teach us, this 
nonsensical monstrosity of life is always present. There's no point of trying to escape it, of trying to make life just th- this beautiful, sunshiny, happy place, idyllic utopia. This is what we've been trying to do for thousands of years. And look where it got us. It got us to the place that people can literally not stand being here because they're not allowed to be themselves. They're not allowed to experience life in its full scope. And this is what uh, Joseph Campbell says at the end. The sense of it all, or rather nonsense of it all, is to be made evident forever in the festivals and monstrous customs of the community itself. But it's evident also and forever in every part and moment of the universe for those who have been taught by the way of rights to see, to know the world as it truly is. We are dying every day. We kill every day. But we don't see it. In our world right now, we don't see it. There is no such a thing of lack or loss. There's always cycle. Satanama. Life, death, rebirth, infinity. Forever, over, 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 over. There is no end of anything. This is what also Nietzsche was talking about when he said about the Apollonian and Dionysian. I don't want to go into it deep because I know. Uh, but he said, you know, the beginning, the, the nature is wild, crazy, hard to contain. But when we do try it, that's the Apollonian. We, that's when we try to polish it and make it beautiful and make it make sense. <laughs> We always look for sense. What is the meaning of this? But the truth is there is no meaning. And in this way, everyone has space in this great monstrosity of life. Every, there is space for everyone, the good and the bad, not just the good, not just the ideal. So let's grow up and accept the truth. Anyway, um, so this is kind of like what... Uh, this little chapter is about, then um, if you like to join, we are also going to read the story of Persephone, which is similar, right? She goes, she dies, but from her coming back to life, there is a rebirth that's happening and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. But there is that mixture. And then there is another story called Monster Eel, also has to do with rebirths and love and death and all of that. So, uh, yeah, and well, this is just a little intro into this topic. So um, let me know if you have any question, if you find it interesting. Um, and if you like, join our book club. We'll talk about these issues. Um, and yes, so that is all from me. Uh, thanks for getting to the end and see you next time. Satnam. Bye.